I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. If you subscribe to the LRB, you can save up to 75% off the cover price. Visit lrb.co.uk forward slash subscribe. Or you can unlock our entire online archive for free for 24 hours. Visit lrb.co.uk forward slash open. And here is the second part of Adam Schatz's conversation with Olivier Roy. In 1992, Olivier, uh, you published a book called The Failure uh, of Political Islam. Uh, the title uh, of, of that book uh, drew a considerable amount of attention because political Islam appeared to be in the ascendancy, and yet you predicted uh, its, its inevitable uh, decline. Uh, can you explain what you meant by the, uh, the uh, failure of political Islam? By political Islam, I mean uh, uh, the political ideology of the Muslim Brothers, the Iranian Islamic Revolution, the Rafa Party in Turkey, the Jamaat Islamic. So, so it's a very specific category of uh, modern uh, Islamist thinkers uh, who um, uh, uh, draw the con- conclusions of the failure uh, of uh, the uh, Muslim world to resist colonialism in the 19th century. So, and these guys uh, came to the conclusion that the issue is not Sharia mm, as such. Mm. Uh, the issue is to rethink Islam as an all-encompassing ideology uh, while adopting the techniques of the West. Well, uh, Maududi, Hassan al-Banna. The Islamic reform movements. Yeah, yeah. It, it's an uh, Islamic reform movement. And uh, uh, it's, uh, I want to say, transforming because for them there is no such a gap between ideology and religion, but recasting Islam as a political ideology. Uh, and they use the term uh, uh, ideology. Khomeini and Maududi use the French and English term. Hassan uh, uh, al-Banna use Mafkura, which is an Arabic term, so he tried to, but, but the idea is the same. Uh, uh, the, the fact that they use a lot of neologism, you know, to explain what they want is a proof that it's not a resurgence of traditional fundamentalism. For, for, exa- for example, you, you, you cannot find the idea of the Vilayat al-Faqi, the, the rule of the jurists, in the Quran. No, not at all. And even if the, in, in the Shia tradition. No. It's not only an illogism, it's a uh, um, modern uh, invention, in, in a sense. Of course, they always root uh, uh, their invention in an uh, uh, reconstructed uh, theological genealogy, which is normal, you know. And the idea is that you can, uh, that the objective is a state. Mm? Uh, maybe there will be a caliphate, but first it's a state. Uh, and the state has to be uh, all-inclusive. Uh, and in sense, it's modern. You have to take into consideration economy, sociology, uh, education, and so So it's, the idea is not just, let's have Sharia, and everything will be okay. That's the Taliban. You know? uh, but the other guys were far more sophisticated. So. Uh, uh, and it's why they created political movements, which were uh, not only more uh, uh, effective, but also more representative of society. They all had a women uh, branch, a student branch, uh, 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 unions, Islamic Union of Engineers, and so on and so on. So it's a sophisticated construction. Uh, uh, but it's not just ideology. These guys are believers, you know, the Muslim Brothers. Uh, they combine uh, uh, the construction of a modern political party with a traditional uh, religious uh, brotherhood. That's why they use the term brotherhood. So you, you had to pray, you had to uh, have uh, religious meetings, and so on and so on. Uh, training, religious training. Uh, uh, it failed. Uh, it, it was doomed to fail uh, because uh, when I said that in 1991, uh, 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 many of my Islamist friends told me, but why do you say that? We are just in the process of winning, you know. Uh, 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 I said it's not a problem of uh, empirical uh, uh, historical uh, experience. It's a problem that your project is contradictory. Uh, and the contradiction is 
uh, who decides what Islam is. If you had a body of uh, uh, guys who religious people who are recognized as the religious uh, body, then they might say something. But uh, first, it will not work because these guys are not politicians. Huh? And secondly, you don't try to establish that. Yeah. Uh, for the Sunnis, there is some sort of a self-evidence, hmm? and it is the Amir, the head of the organizations, who at the end knows better. But who appoints the Amir? And how do you know that the decision is in conformity with Islam? And here are the Iranians. Uh, I went to make a conference in, in uh, Chrome in uh, 1993 on the failure of political Islam. It was a bit tense. Uh, but... Uh, You know, they, they said, explain your title. And I uh, began to explain. And then they said, look, guy, uh, uh, what you say is very good for the Sunnis, you know, because uh, effectively there is no one uh, uh, recognized legitimate religious body who, which can say what Islam says. Uh, so but we have we, the supreme leader. We, we have the supreme leader, you know. And then I said, uh, yeah, but who appoints the supreme leader? Yeah. Uh, it's not God. The Supreme Leader is elected uh, through a specific body, which is uh, elected, uh, and it's so political. How is it, for instance, that uh, in Iran, only Iranian citizens could vote for the uh, body uh, who appoints the Supreme Leader, while an Afghan Shia uh, cannot. An Armenian Iranian can, an Afghan Shia cannot. So nationalism prevails. Uh, and uh, there was a lot of debate uh, on that. In a second conference in Chrome, uh, where they say, who watch the watchers, you know, guard the guardians, uh, a young mullah uh, said, the Kalashnikov. Uh, and there was a huge uproar. And so, but that, yes, it's uh, uh, the balance of power. So it's the... And, and, and you, you mentioned too that, that the result in, in Iran, at least, has been of, of having a, the, uh, an, an Islamic republic has been the secular, the most secular society in the Middle East. Yeah, the regime is not even trying to really control, you know, the religious life of the people. If you don't contest the regime, uh, if you don't use uh, religion or secularism to politically contest the regime, you are safe. Yeah. You have to uh, abide by certain rules. Of course, they, they are very touchy. Um, in conversions, for instance, yeah, uh, because there is a move of conversions from Islam to Christianity. And as long as the Protestant uh, uh, preachers were targeting the Iranian Armenians, there was no problem. Now that, in fact, uh, many Shias are converting to, to Christianity, it's a problem. But, you know, it means that the, uh, the religious legitimacy never resists uh, uh, the taking of power. It, it strikes me that there that there is a certain tragic dimension to your account of the failure of political Islam that that perhaps mirrors your experience of the revolutionary left, that just at the moment of success comes failure. Utopia cannot be realized. All, all encompassing ideologies failed. Uh, they failed, they are failing, and they will fail. The problem is what to do. And then you have Reagan and neoliberalism. You know, the, look, you know, all this story about uh, uh, revolution, social justice, and so doesn't work. Let's now uh, become, uh, yes, neoliberals, which means individualism, free market, and so and so. But it doesn't work. So the great tragedy is that, in fact, between the failed ideology and the uh, myth of uh, self-regulating uh, free market, uh, global free market, uh, there is nothing. Uh, so the problem now is that we have no collective imaginary. That uh, except uh, you have imaginaries for closed sub-communities, uh, what we call identity. And identity, it's always uh, about a sub-community. And a sub-community has a subculture by definition. One of the um, complacent assumptions about Islamists is that they do not reflect on their experience, reconsider, change their minds, that there's something, there's a very kind of stat, it's, it's perhaps an extension of a kind of uh, Orientalism uh, that sees Muslims as static, as not being self-reflexive in the way that, let's say, Western leftists might be. Um, Uh, but you actually write a lot about about uh, Islamists who reflect on their project and in some cases defect or or break with their ideology. And um, 
Uh, one of them is uh, is a, is, a, is an Algerian Islamist uh, whom I think you you met in Afghanistan named um, Abdullah Anas. Uh, could you talk a little bit about him? We probably met because we have the same story, but um, the Westerner involved might be somebody else. But uh, 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 and for me, the Algerian involvement is somebody else. Um, in 1984, I was coming back from Panjshir uh, to Pakistan, and there was a pass, you know, at uh, four hundred, uh, four thousand five hundred meters. And when I come at the, uh, uh, just at the pass, looking at the other side of the mountain, I saw a column uh, of 400 uh, Arabs, so uh, I didn't recognize them as Arabs, but they will identify uh, themselves as such, with uh, a mix, you know, of traditional Afghan dress and military dress. Uh, 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 brand new Kalashnikov, and the guys... I thought they were not Afghans because uh, they were very disciplined <laughs> and walking you know, in a military way, which the Afghans would never do. You know, they, uh, one by one. Or is, uh, uh. So I stood uh, just a part of the path to let them uh, went through the pass. And uh, they looked at me, not very friendly. I looked at them. And suddenly one of the guys uh, uh, turned at me and, and told me in French, uh, what are you doing here? Uh, you are a kafir, uh, an infidel. He said, your place is. We are here now. Go back to France. Right? And 20 years after, in 2004, I had a conference in London on de-radicalization. Uh, and there was a panel. Uh, uh, and there was a big guy uh, uh, with a big bird uh, on my left. We look at each other. And we said... Um, we met sometimes, no? And the guy said, I think we met, you know. Uh, it was in Afghanistan. Yes, it was in Afghanistan. Uh, it was on the route from uh, Pakistan to uh, uh, to the north. Yes, it was. <laughs> and then so we lost, you know. Uh, 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 and Abdullah Anas is a typical uh, case. He, he went to Afghanistan. He was 18 years old from Algeria. He spent eight years in Afghanistan. He was um, uh, with Masood, and that's the big difference. He was with Masood, so the most uh, moderate of the Afghan Mujahid. He uh, learned uh, Persian uh, perfectly well, and he became uh, the sudden flow of Abdullah Azam, the guy who launched the whole jihadi movement. Yeah, the yeah. Palestinian Islamists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not Al-Qaeda at that time, but uh, it was what will become Al-Qaeda. And Abdullah Azam, so we had uh, many discussions since that where we were good friends and so so. Uh, so I asked him uh, history. Uh, in 89, when the, uh, the Americans declared mission accomplished, so the Russians left, so let's, uh, so, um, many of these Arabs were disbanded in a sense, you know, they went back to their country. Abdelanas was one of, one of the founders of the FIS. Mm. Uh, Algerian. Of the, of the, the, the Islamic Salvation Front. Of Algeria, yeah. Uh, so he was a committed uh, jihadist and Islamist and so He was not with the GIA, uh, the uh, more radical part of the uh, movement, which, by the way, didn't exist in uh, uh, 1989. And uh, then there was a repression of the uh, uh, Islamic Salvation Front in Algeria, so he had to leave, and where to leave, he went back to Afghanistan. And in 92, uh, the Northern Coalition. The Northern Alliance. Yeah, the Northern Alliance in Afghanistan took Kabul from the communists. And he was there. And uh, he told me, uh, when we entered Kabul, uh, so in May uh, 92, it was victory. After uh, more than a decade of heavy fightings, communism is defeated, uh, Islam is back, we are in charge. And so he said it was the happiest day of my life, except then the next morning, shelling started uh, from one Mujahideen side to the other. And he said, we destroyed the city in one month, a city which has survived <laughs> 10 years of uh, uh, civil war. We destroyed the city. He said, so, and he stopped and said, what did happen? What went wrong? Uh, uh, why are we at this stage? And uh, he left uh, uh, Afghanistan and he, he took uh, asylum in London as a, 
Algerian. <laughs> which is, so, and then you know, he started to think, he met people, and so And he came to the conclusion, uh, yes, the, uh, the failure of political Islam. Uh, uh, he's a strong believer. He's a devout man. Um, and uh, he... He devoted himself now to reconciliation, both in Afghanistan, because he thinks, and I think he's right, the Taliban are not terrorists. No? The Talib uh, Taliban are a legitimate political force in Afghanistan, while Al-Qaeda are terrorists. And uh, I see they are terrorists. So, uh, uh, so the idea is to bring back uh, the actors, uh, legitimate actors, and to uh, push them to make some sort of self-criticism, uh, discuss between themselves to find a political solution. Um, I want to return to the question of analogies. Often uh, you draw analogies between uh, radical Islamist movements and the far-left movements of the 60s and particularly the 1970s, Badr Meinhof and, and the, Red Army, uh, the Red Army faction, the Red Brigades and so on. And those analogies, whether uh, in, whether explicit or implicit, um, have rhetorical power and also, of course, explanatory power. And they help to uh, break down uh, some of the facile culturalist distinctions between uh, radicals in Western Europe, say, and um, and radicals in Islamic societies or among immigrant populations in the West. But are there cases in which analogies also mislead and become a trap? Where do analogies cease to be uh, illuminating and actually become a problem? Uh, that's a good question. I don't have a good answer. I agree that uh, we should not uh, be prisoners of uh, uh, analogies. Analogies are for me a way to understand uh, a track, you know, uh, opening a door. It's never methodological. And here I have some problems with some of my colleagues who build, you know, some kind of methodological models, uh, paradigms, comparing different revolutionary movements and so. And I must say, uh, and I'm not ashamed of that. That is far more empirical and intuitive uh, on my side. Because uh, I am not interested in the obvious analogies. Uh, I am interested of what is not obvious. Uh, what does make a young guy or girl radicalized? Uh, and then you see that the sociological explanations don't work, the rational explanations don't work, the psychological explanation, brainwashing, and so don't work. So uh, uh, what is at work? And it's a very um, tricky uh, uh, ground because you cannot make scientific studies on that. You cannot quantify, you cannot, and so on. And I must say that uh, I see my uh, role in the social sciences at putting a finger uh, on these margins, uh, these places where uh, our models don't work. But I'm not, I am not replacing um, the uh, possible existing models with uh, new models. Uh, um, uh, so I want to keep these an analogies as analogies. Um, and now, if we can uh, look at... Uh, um, the uh, the uh, extreme right uh, extreme left movements uh, in europe have always been fascinated by history they wanted to root themselves in history uh, it's clear with the bader meinhof group the difference between the gauche proletarienne and the bader meinhof group is that many of the gauche proletarienne their parents were part of the resistance or victims of the nazi while for the Badermanhof, it's exactly the contrary. They, uh, the, the problem was the silence uh, uh, of their parents. Uh, but Or complicity. Or complicity, yeah. But both movements were generational movements, which is quite strange. You know, we have two generational revolts in Europe. Uh, uh, one is Latin, if I can say that, France, France and Italy, mm -hmm, which are very close because they all root themselves in the anti-fascist, uh, anti-Nazi movement uh, uh, of the 30s and 40s. And the German, who, on the contrary, you know, uh, uh, can root the revolt only on the silence of their parents. So. But in fact, there are a lot of things in common, you know, assassination of uh, 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 business people, policemen, uh, and so on. 
I think that uh, with the better manner, we have the suicidal dimension precisely because this total lack of routing. Uh, uh, you have no escape. Uh, uh, in Italy and France, you can reframe your revolt. You're saying, okay, I made a mistake by going uh, uh, becoming terrorist. But uh, the struggle for revolution, and in fact enough, we have a lot of um, um, radical philosophers in France and Italy. Zizek, uh, uh, we can put him somewhere between France and Italy. And yet not so much in Germany. In, no. Ger in Germany, you have no. Jürgen Habermas, and in France, you have Foucault and Gilles Deleuze. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is and then a you very have, striking difference. Yeah, but then you have Badiou and Negri, who still, you know, think that there is a legitimacy in the absolute revolt, and that the uh, you cannot give up the concept of communism like that, you know, and revolution like that. Uh, it's typically of the uh, French-Italian, I would say. Uh, Uh, conjunction. So it seems to me the analogies are meant to be more suggestive and almost literary. And in fact, uh, you you often invoke literary sources and, and and seem to imply that Dostoevsky might help us to explain political violence better than most social scientists do. Yeah, uh, uh, for me, uh, uh, the rooting of what I call this kind of revolution and nihilism is the end of the 19th century. Uh, Uh, and Dostoevsky is a most fantastic uh, uh, writer. Uh, in political terms, we have the anarchists. The anarchists, it's a rather good term today uh, because the anarchists uh, uh, have been romanticized, you know. Uh, but uh, sometimes, if they, if they didn't kill more people, it's just because they had no the techno technological way to kill more people. Uh, where Henri, uh, the guy who launched the first attack against a cafe you know, in Paris, uh, I think it was in 1949, uh, he killed just one guy, you know. But he launched a bomb in a cafe, so he wanted to kill uh, as many people uh, uh, as possible. And at his trial, uh, when he was asked by the uh, uh, judge, uh, why did you kill innocents? His famous response answer was, there is no innocent. Uh, And uh, he, he was executed, of course, but many anarchists, in fact, were looking to be executed and were very happy to take uh, the trial as a tribune to expose their ideas. So there is something, you know, um, uh, many on the left hate what I am saying because um, uh, it means that uh, al-Baghdadi is um, a follower of uh, the anarchists. So. Uh, but you have a, a matrix. Yeah. Well, I, I think what, I mean, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you're suggesting is that the relationship between uh, jihad and death, which is the title of your book, lies not so much in religious texts as in a kind of um, a new ex exist uh, political existentialism. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and of course, uh, the ideology of Daesh is uh, based on Islam. You know, I'm not saying that Islam is a, just a veneer, uh, uh, an apparence. No, no, no. Uh, there is a, a mystical dimension and it's largely rooted in the belief that uh, uh, the suicide bomber will go to paradise. So they really believe that they will go to paradise. So they are believers. But for me, the great strength of Al-Qaeda first and mainly uh, Daesh is uh, to have uh, put on the market a great narrative uh, which combine you know, uh, two genealogies. One of this uh, uh, nihilistic, radical uh, Western uh, fascination for terrorism uh, and uh, uh, an Islamic tradition of uh, reconstructing the caliphate and so on. And the conjunction of both leads, you know, to mixing of uh, nihilism and apocalypticism. You know, apocalypse for me is the nihilism of believers. Olivier, you uh, drew quite a bit of attention um, when you spoke of the failure of political Islam. More recently, you've provoked controversy by arguing that uh, the appeal of um, the Islamic State among young men and women in the, in the French banlieue reflects not so much the uh, radicalization of Islam as the Islamization uh, of radicalism. And you've been taken to mean that somehow Islam has nothing to do with this question and that it's not at all about religion. So I'm wondering whether you might Uh, elaborate on what you mean by the Islamization of radicalism. 
The problem is people now are reading one sentence. There are no more reading books. Yeah. The whole book is about to explain uh, what means Islamization of radicalization. And uh, that Islam is not just a pretext. No. It's at the, the core of uh, the framing of the radicalization. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, I start from a very basic sociologic thing, you know, take the profiles of the radicals. Uh, uh, so I worked on the Franco-Belgian guys, but uh, uh, I know that it's not so different uh, uh, elsewhere. In the West, I'm not speaking about the Saudis, I'm not speaking with Egyptian, I'm speaking about the global jihadists from the West who joined the fight. Okay. Uh, and if we look at, at the profile, we can see that 90 to 95% of them have no religious background. Uh, uh, they may have a, a cultural Muslim origin, Uh, uh, 62-65% of them are second generation Muslims. Hmm? Uh, but the simple fact that we have a quarter of converts, you know, shows that in fact it's not because uh, 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 you have a radicalization of Islam that uh, uh, they became radicals. Uh, a convert choose Islam because uh, the guy is radical, you know. Um, uh, so there is a uh, uh, a misreading of the uh, reality. Uh, radicalization of Islam does exist. We have the Salafi movement. It has been well uh, documented. We know. We have um, rad political radicalization, terrorist radicalization. Okay. And people think, uh, just because it's um, uh, parallel, that uh, you have a correlation of causality. It's the first one, radicalization of Islam, which produces the second one, okay. uh, terrorist radicalization. But a correlation is never a, a causality. It's a basic uh, sociologic and scientific uh, uh, assumption. You know? It's not because you have a correlation that you have a causality. Uh, very certainly, there is a common matrix, you know, uh, uh, which for me is deculturation of Islam, which explains why we have salafization of one, one hand and terrorist radical, jihadi radicalization on the other hand. Okay. So there is something in common, which is for me the deculturation of Islam. But we have absolutely no concrete elements what, to show that what, you... What, what, can you explain a bit more what you mean by the deculturation of Islam? The reconstruction of Islam as a system of norms outside a transmitted and traditional culture. And it's why the majority of the radicals are either second generation or converts. Uh, you have very few uh, third generation. Normally, in Germany, France and Great Britain, you know, After 20 years of uh, uh, jihadism, radicalism, it's not new. You know, we have 20 years. Uh, uh, we should have now the third generation, meaning the great children of the uh, uh, first generation of migrants. Almost nobody. Almost nobody. Mm. Uh, so what I'm saying is not, you know, uh, kind of some kind of philosophical interpretation. I start with basic quantitative, sociological facts. Let's take the uh, uh, the list of all the suicide bombers, uh, all the terrorists in Europe. We have the names. You know? We have the names. Usually it takes 24 hours for the police you know, to know who did it. You know, Then it might take more time to know the accomplices and so on and so on. But We know it's because the guys don't hide, uh, never hide. Uh, uh, so we, we have all the elements. So the journalists are always writing the same article. There is a bomb somewhere. The journalist jump to the neighborhood where the guy is born, educated, and they say, oh, uh, uh, his mother say, I don't understand. Uh, his sister say, I don't understand. Uh, the grocery guy say, I don't understand. The school teacher say, and so and so and so. The same article. And now we have to take that seriously. No? These guys uh, have no, didn't come to radicalism by studying religion. But they frame the radicalization into, not Islam as such in general, into the Islamic narrative of Al-Qaeda and Daesh. That's all what I said. Still, I wonder, even if that uh, account works for uh, French jihadis like the Kawashi brothers um, and for other uh, 
Muslim extremists in in Europe who um, have had this experience of a deculturated Islam who haven't grown up going to mosque, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, does the explanation work? On the other hand, for the larger phenomenon of the of of the Islamic State, which of course uh, emerges in Iraq and Syria, and where where um, you know, uh, for example, Pierre Jean Louis Zar has argued that the causes have to do with the disenfranchisement of the Sunni community, where that you have a different kind of Daesh phenomenon, and, and and the phenomenon of of radical Islam is a is a, is a global one. It's not. It's it can't be understood um, in in these entirely in these isolated contexts. My book is on global jihadism. Why uh, young people who have nothing to do uh, with the place where there is a war go to this place? That's all. And now the other issue, and you are perfectly right on that, uh, uh, there are logical, local reasons for uh, uh, local conflicts. Yeah. Uh, uh, Daesh, and uh, Luizar uh, wrote the, the best book on that, uh, uh, Daesh is a, a product of the frustration of the Arab Sunnis after one century of uh, being dispossessed uh, 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 of the power by other minorities, so it started with Lebanon, there is a arc of crisis, you know, the former provinces, the former Arab provinces of the Ottoman Empire. No. Uh, uh, and when the British and the French decided you know, to, to divide and uh, to restructure all that, uh, we had first... Lebanon, who uh, uh, precisely is, was at the time mostly a Christian uh, place. Then we had uh, Palestine, uh, uh, Israel. Then uh, we had Syria uh, with the Alawite uh, regime in the end of the 60s. And then, thanks to the American, in 2003, uh, Iraq stopped to be a Sunni Arab state. And now we have a non-Arab Sunni state, the Kurds. The only Sunni Arab state is Jordan, which is considered by the, uh, as the most recent, the most artificial, and the weakest uh, uh, Arab countries of the area, wrongly or rightly. So there is a frustration, clearly. And we have a recasting of uh, Basism, for instance, into Salafism. Okay. How it worked, I don't know. There are people who know uh, far better the local situation than me. And I know that it's still a puzzle. Uh, is uh, uh, ISIS just a cover from some sort of the former Basis guy? Is ISIS a real Salafi movement? But in both cases, ISIS is a product of the local situation. And the paradox is that if ISIS has kept itself as a local actor, they might have found a political settlement. Because many people remember, you know, in uh, 2006... Uh, During uh, the Sectarian uh, War. Yeah, 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 they were saying, okay, why not a federal uh, uh, Iraq? Why not a Sunni state? Why not a Sunni province? And to, to, to come to say, uh, we have been deprived of power. We want, you know, uh, to have our territory is a negotiable uh, demand. But no, they came saying, we are the caliphate. Our objective is uh, to go uh, from Morocco to Hindus, at least. You know. uh, we don't recognize any existing states. We will negotiate nothing with nobody. And this explains the fascination for the global jihadists. The global jihadists, they are in search of a global jihadi movement. So the, both the strengths and the weakness of uh, ISIS is to combine uh, a local legitimate movement with the a, a millenarian, a millenarian mm. ideology, and 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 in a sense, it goes back to a point you were making earlier about the decline of a political horizon. We are living in a period after the collapse of socialism, and in a sense, radical Islam has replaced for many of these young people the revolutionary project. Exactly, the the only radical, global, universalist movement is Daesh now. Mm. You root your account of radicalization among young French people in their specific experiences of alienation, frustration, in some cases, racial discrimination, the discourse of laïcité, which is often very, takes on a very anti-Arab um, undertone, or for that matter, overtone. Um, and yet, in your account, um, you have tended to exclude uh, external factors such as anger over Western foreign policy, the uh, the predicament of the Palestinians, and so forth. These are factors that 
that that other scholars of political Islam often discuss, such as uh, François Burga. Why why do you see these factors as not significant? There is anger. That's clear, you know. Uh, uh, but for me, the anger is global. They hate the existing world. They hate uh, the society they are living uh, in. But uh, uh, my uh, colleague, uh, colleague and, and friend... Which is uh, why you talk about nihilism. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. But my, my friend and colleague, uh, uh, François Burgain, he thinks it's political. Now, the problem, once again, where are the facts? Yeah. Where are the declarations? Who said, uh, uh, I joined ISIS because I support the Palestinian conflict, the uh, Palestinian struggle? We don't have one mention uh, uh, of that. ISIS is fighting Hezbollah. Hezbollah is the main military protector, if I can say that, of the Palestinians, you know. Uh, 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 um, the, um, uh, the, the, the only, at no. least rhetorically. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the only Arab armed groups able to challenge Israel is Hezbollah. And what ISIS is doing is fighting the Hezbollah. We don't have the case, you know, of uh, young Algerians going back to Algeria or fighting uh, uh, or uh, uh, aiming at meaningful uh, post-colonial targets. Uh, they don't target anything in relation with the French history to colonial history. If you were an... Uh, if the first motivation would be uh, anti-colonialism, uh, uh, resentments uh, for racism, so you would have targeted a you know, significant target, the museum of colonialism, we don't know what, you know, uh, 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 monuments, historical monuments, uh, the army, uh, uh, nothing. Why, why do you think, though, so many... I mean, it is, it is rather extraordinary that France has produced so many young jihadis. Why, why do you think so many young people, and, and in many cases, young French people of North African origin, often Algerian origin, why, why do so many of them uh, go off to find meaning and, and glory uh, in Syria? I think it's because in France, for different reasons, we have the maximum deculturalization of Islam. Take Germany. Uh, uh, normally, uh, uh, you should have, uh, because the majority of uh, German Muslims are Turks, you should have a, a majority of Turks in the jihadi movement. You have more converts than Turks. You have almost no Turks, uh, less than 10% in the jihadi movement. But you have another representation of Moroccans. Uh, same in uh, Holland, same in Denmark. Uh, even in Great Britain. Uh, uh, some people used to say uh, uh, radicalization is a consequence of multiculturalism. Totally stupid. Uh, the last uh, uh, attacks in uh, 2017, you have only one guy who is of uh, uh, Indo-Pakistan uh, origin, Haram Bhut. Uh, all the others are at the margins uh, of the British Muslim population. Uh, Khalid Massoud is a, a Jamaican convert. Uh, Abedi is a Libyan. Uh, you have two Moroccans, interestingly enough, two Moroccans, and one coming through Ireland, you know, and the other through Italia, you know, through, uh, the Italy. That's uh, 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 quite uh, quite strange, you know. And the last guy, uh, Yahya Farouk, uh, was educated by a couple of typically British uh, uh, step parents, so, uh, um, the foster parents. Uh, um, so um, my thesis is that uh, it's where we have the highest degree of deculturation in Islam that we have the highest potential for radicalization. So it means either the margins, yeah, uh, 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 converts and so, or Moroccans. Why? Because in uh, Moroccans and Tunisians, uh, very few Algerians, Moroccans and Tunisians, uh, uh, the deculturation is going very far for linguistic reasons. Uh, these countries are trilingual. Mm. Uh, uh, local Arabic or Berber, uh, uh, so the mother tongue, then you have classical Arabic and you have French. Uh, and the two written languages are not maternal languages. Everybody has to be educated in a non-maternal language. Uh, sometimes it, it goes very well. Most of the time it goes very well, and the elite is perfectly trilingual, so we have one of the, uh, the, the 
the coming elites now from uh, uh, North Africa, uh, North Africa are very high-level guys. You know, they, they do very well in Silicon Valley and so. But uh, the guys who are uh, uh, well, who miss the step, you know, who uh, are unable to master free languages, they are culturally lost. Uh, is, uh, why uh, uh, the Turks? No, the Turks. Uh, a young uh, Turk uh, born in Germany can speak Turkish with his grandmother. He can read the same books on his grandmother, uh, the same journals on his father, look at the same TV program. So you have a cultural continuity, which might create some tensions with uh, uh, Western Germanization, what you want, you know, but you have a cultural continuity. And the interesting thing now, and I, I know nothing on that, so is uh, uh, um, Britain. Uh, 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 the uh, potential of radicalization was very high among the Pakistani, you know, second generation Pakistani, also given the fact that in Pakistan, Pakistan itself is a hotbed of radicalization. And it was true for uh, 7-7, you know, in 2004. Uh, 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 so. And now, no. Uh, we have an obvious decrease in the radicalization of uh, 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 people from Pakistani origin in Britain. I stop here because I have no explanation. Mm. It's not my field. But I'm sure that something is happening, which can be also a put in line with uh, 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 with the new mayor in London. Uh, I'm not saying that he as an individual, uh, but he has a symptom, Mm -hmm. a symptom of a successful, you know, uh, um, uh, social rise of elites. And in France, we have still the glass ceiling. Uh, 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 we can see in politics how it's difficult uh, for uh, uh, the second generation to be accepted as legitimate by the political parties. Or by their own people. Um, And I want to return to that point about France in just a moment. But um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a question about your famous quarrel uh, with uh, with Gilles Capel. And uh, Capel... Uh, who has a, a, a different account of uh, of radicalization in France has has taken you to task uh, for the fact that uh, you are a scholar of Persian, not of Arabic. Now, of course, you just pointed out that it's this convulsion of immigrant adjustment, and it's the loss of a language. His argument is that you need to know Arabic, you need to know the Ara- these mysterious Arabic textual sources to understand the attractions of radicalism for these for these young people. Can you uh, address that? What, what? He thinks that uh, a text written in Arabic in Syria by a guy like Al-Souri has an influence in France. You're speaking about Abu Musa yeah, al-Souri, yeah. the, the Al-Qaeda mm-hmm. theorist. And it's false at two levels. First, the text he's quoting doesn't exist. When Gilles Kepel said that there is a text of uh, 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 Al-Souri calling the Muslims to revolt uh, in Europe, it's not true. The text doesn't exist. Uh, uh, There is a text calling for civil terror, not civil war. So, secondly, even if there were a text, they don't read the text uh, because they don't read Arabic. Uh, you, You need to read Arabic to work on ISIS. It's why I don't work on ISIS, but uh, uh, I have colleagues like uh, Jean-François Luizard, uh, Pierre-Jean yeah. Luizard, uh, who works uh, 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 who, uh, who work on ISIS. So it's not my job. No? Harry Lyon, Jean-Pierre Filiu, uh, Romain Cahier, Luizard, we had, uh, uh, you know, um, research is not an, we are not artists. It's not an individual act. Research is collective. No? And when you say that you research by yourself, it's not true. No? Kepel has also a team uh, but he doesn't want the names of the team to be known, you know. Uh, normally, as a scholar, you associate your team. It's what the other guys are, uh, are doing, and myself. Uh, so uh, I worked on uh, uh, ISIS by cooperating with colleagues who know Arabic. In France, to know Arabic is <laughs> totally useless, totally useless. Uh, uh, and more than that, the problem is, uh, I would say, a methodologic problem. The idea that Texts are uh, the source of radicalization. Or the, that a political life or religious life is made of text. You know? We have this kind of uh, intellectual complex of superiority that life is made of texts. No, you know, people don't read. You know? And Gramsci was very right on that. You know, it's not a text uh, uh, who mobilizes people. We uh, and as Hegel said, you know, we write after. You know? 
theology the Christ Jesus Christ was not a theologian theology appeared a century after Christ so if you look at the theological or regular text to understand what the people are doing you are missing how people conceive the relationship to society how they live you know, you miss life mm -hmm. life and, and it seems it seems to me that 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 this kind of textual literalism uh is very much in the orientalist tradition orientalism was always about uh philology the text textual literalism and and it seems to me that like clifford geertz uh you've always wanted to encourage people to return to practice invention how people live their religion how they interpret it in reality There is a mirror effect between the Orientalist and the Ulama. Uh, uh, it's why they, uh, so they read each other and they all think that uh, what the other guy is writing is the key. Uh, uh, so so uh, the uh, Orientalist, uh, they give a lot of importance to the Ulama and the Ulama think that the Orientalist are, well, uh, misreading what they, so, but it's all about text. And we miss society. We miss life. That's the big, uh, big issue. Uh, uh, and the problem is now the social sciences are less and less interested in real people. Social sciences are working through uh, uh, a corpus of uh, an intermediate corpus. Uh, polls, for instance. You, know, you don't go and discuss with people. You make polls by phone. Uh, most of the studies in Egypt now are based on polls, uh, which is very stupid because, of course, uh, Polls made by phone doesn't make any sense uh, uh, in a country like, like Egypt and even in France uh, or elsewhere. Uh, 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 we use uh, uh, quantitative methods, uh, uh, um, statistics. And so that might be interesting. Uh, that might help. You know, but uh, you always miss meaning. You know. And it seems to me that that by uh, looking at what you're broadly calling life. Mm -hmm. You've actually reached a surprisingly optimistic conclusions about the direction of French society. While uh, Gilles Capel, to take one example, has uh, predicted this future of uh, intensifying civil war and and youth Muslim revolt and so on, you've pointed out that in fact um, what we're seeing is is increasing Muslim integration, the rise of a Muslim bourgeoisie, um, and that there is a kind of there's a there's a there is a gap, a kind of décalage between the reality of Muslim integration, a, a word that I'm not particularly fond of, um, and, and this discourse of laïcité and this discourse mm -hmm. that emphasizes the, uh, the tensions uh, between uh, Muslims and, and French society. The problem is that uh, uh, France, as all the Western societies, have a problem of uh, cohesiveness now. Right? And that uh, in France, that's elsewhere, Uh, uh, we are trying to build imaginary uh, cohesiveness around an ideological principle. So, uh, in uh, Great Britain, it's Britishness. Uh, uh, in France, it's laïcité. <laughs> okay. Nobody speaks of Frenchness. It's laïcité. No? So, laïcité is now an identity ideological constructions, totally uh, 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 cut from its uh, uh, legal and constitutional basis, uh, with which I have no, no problem. Uh, 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 and uh, in order to affirm laïcité, we have to find non-laïc, and they do exist, uh, Salafi, uh, uh, and so. So we, uh, all the problems of the French society are now focused on les jeunes de banlieue, uh, uh, the youth of the suburbs, uh, uh, who may or not be Muslims, by, by the way. Uh, uh, but uh, in Kepel's view, uh, they are Muslims, uh, Uh, and the riots uh, of uh, 2005 were Muslim riots, which is totally stupid. We have riots every month. Uh, and the riots in France are exactly the same than the USA. A young guy dies in an encounter with the police. And people go to the streets and the parents uh, uh, go to the medias and so and so. Uh, there are stones which are thrown, the police so come. These, these, these are con conflicts over racism, police con police police uh, conduct, uh, power. Yeah. And most of the guy, uh, the majority has the name like Mohammed, but it's never framed you know, into religious uh, uh, antagonism. Never, never, never. Uh, so we have to look at facts, you know. Yes, there is a problem with the uh, 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 unruly youth. Mm? Uh, 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 they claim to be victims. 
the police say that they, they are the offenders, classical things, you know, like the blacks in the USA, very classical things. Nothing religious in that, absolutely nothing. Uh, none of uh, uh, the uh, terrorists came from this milieu. None of them uh, was associated with the riots. None of them was caught, you know, in, in, in a riot against the police. Uh, so we just have to look at facts. So here we have a paranoid imaginary reconstruction of a, a, a society on the a, a brink of a, a civil war. Well, it doesn't correspond to any reality. We have riots, always localized. The, the movement of this use uh, the, uh, the action is, is always very local. They never cross the street. Uh, if you want to do a civil war, you cross not only the streets, but you, you cross the boulevard, you cross the avenues, and you go to the capital. They don't. But that, begs, but that does beg the question, why is it that so many uh, members of the French mm. elite, not just the right, mm. but members of mm. the political left, uh, the previous uh, uh, interior minister, for example, mm. Manuel Valls, mm. Why do these members of the French elite, the French white elite, have such difficulty acknowledging the actual progress that French society has made? And, and why do they fall so easily into racialist and racist cliches about the unassimilable Muslim? Why is that? They need an enemy. Yeah. They need an over. Yeah. Uh, because laicite as such has no content. It's a legal principle. It's not a system of values. It's not a spirituality. You don't have. Uh, uh, the, the Freemasons, uh, uh, one century ago, tried to build a, a, a secular spirituality. Well, uh, but now it's totally, uh, uh, it doesn't work. You know, that's all. You know, when you lack a spiritual thing, you still lack emotions. You cannot build a policy without emotions. You cannot be a purely rational actor in policy. And uh, the only emotion available on the market now is hatred. You have no other emotion. Yeah. Only the Pope is speaking about love, yeah, but it's a bit mm. uh, uh, so old-fashioned. So this reinvention of mm. laïcité, you might say to paraphrase the title of your book, is a search for a lost ideal. Yeah, Absolutely. Olivier, it's been an honor and a great pleasure mm. to speak to you about your work. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. If you subscribe to the LRB, you can save up to 75% off the cover price. Visit lrb.co.uk forward slash subscribe. Or you can unlock our entire online archive for free for 24 hours. Visit lrb.co.uk forward slash open.